Blog Talk Radio. Black free thinkers, where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night. Free thought, we don't walk by faith in the lost mind state, cause it's not quite safe. We don't recruit, we're not peers from a church, so don't be spooked, we're not here to convert. The only truth that's not pulled from a text, show me proof that's not good after death. This is the challenge to think for yourself, break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt. 310-982-4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through The next tree branch is Rainer and it's best you listen to Reason, science, and skepticism It's loaded with straight facts, inspiring and dope She can make Bill Nye retire with lab coat Humans are hilarious and every other Friday I'd like to hear commentary on culture people so I hit up Super Mario and bring in Emmeline To discuss why we're capable of ultra evil It's normal for my brain to have a two-way street But if there's collisions, well then you got to just mention it And don't be afraid of where the truth may lead Ignoring your position of cognitive dissonance When Father Teresa preaches, it's hard to stop So Kim paired me up with Alfred in the barbershop I have a extended family in all these places now As the free thought tree pollinates around yeah. This is the challenge to think for yourself Break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt 310-982-4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through Black Where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night we don't walk by faith in a lost mind state because it's not quite safe. Hey, good evening, everyone. How's it going? I welcome you to another uh, installment of Black and Thinkers Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Um, of course, I'm here in the house with Brother Alfred, and uh, Sister Kim is here with us as well. And always, as always, we've got a lot to talk about, and we want to invite you, if you're here listening and you're in the sound of my voice, give us a call because we want to hear from you as well. That's 310-982-4273. Again, that number is 310-982-4273. Um, give us a call, and always, you know, open minds, and we're willing to listen and hear from you as well. Um, it's been a whack week. Uh, it's been a week, man, and um, very interesting and very uh, sobering developments. And, um, you know, we're going to try and touch and talk on them as, as always. And if you're like me, you're ignoring the crap out of the Olympics because I just don't care. Um, I don't know about the, my colleagues that are also on the line with me, but I've seen the commercials and I've pretty much, I don't think I've ever been happier that I have a Netflix account. So, um, you know, if that's your thing, then, yeah, I understand. But, uh, you know, I'm going to be binge-watching uh, Friends or Breaking Bad or something like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I I don't know. Maybe it's me. I, I, I don't care for curling or bobsledding. So, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, 
So you're probably better off here with us. You're better off here listening and talking with us because um, we're going to go in. Uh, you know, like I said, it's been a week. Uh, most importantly, um, if Brother Alfred is there, I I love this. Uh, I'm a big fan of knowledge and learning, and this gentleman personally was such a big influence on me. You know, I went back in the 90s, you know, this is the mid-90s or something like that. I'm just getting into my teenager. There's a guy on TV, he looks like a cartoon character, but it turns out that he's a real doctor, he's a real scientist, and he used to come on every weekend with his fun and every week with his fun and entertaining show, uh, Bill Murray the Science Guy. And every day you watch him, you learn something new, and he, he would he would give you something that you could think about, um, you know, and it's funny, you know, as we're going into this conversation uh, about Dr. Nye and the recent uh, debate he had with creationist uh, Ken Ham, when I was growing up, uh, it was as much, it was as important to entertain, uh, to, to inform children, young people, as it was to entertain them. And if you go back and look, I mean, we had uh, the electric company, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Via uh, Alegre, all these, all these shows, they would come on, and while they're entertaining you with these vibrant characters and these vibrant Ghost Rider, they had all these shows, but at the end of each show, you feel like you've been informed somehow. You know, like you're not as, you, you, you learn something that you didn't know prior to that. I don't think that that's happening anymore, sadly. I think it with the advent of Barney, you know, when the big dumb purple dinosaur showed up, it was more about keeping the kids docile and, and, and you know not looking to learn anything than it was to you know keep them entertained and keep them learning. It was more about some kind of song and some goofball character, and maybe maybe you might shoehorn a lesson in there, but it's not really a lesson. They're not learning about math or science. Or, or, or reading, you know, and, you know, so as you go on, it was Barney, then you have the Teletubbies and stuff. My kid watches Nick Jr., and I can't point to a show where there's a real uh, lesson or real knowledge coming to him. There might be some kind of feel-good message, but at the end of it, there's nothing real. And so it's a big deal that we have somebody like Bill Nye, the science guy, to teach us. So, you know, I wanted to open it up to the other folks that are here, you know, how did you guys take the uh, the, the recent debate that uh, Mr. Doctor and I had with uh, yeah, Mr. Ham? Oh, I am. It, it went exactly how I expected it to. I mean, I know people were kind of skeptical, you know, no pun intended, as towards uh, you know Nye's ability to debate because you know Ham he has a little bit more experience under his belt actually doing debating, but when I see people say stuff like that, I don't necessarily agree because I've seen the quality of Ken Ham's work. I've seen the quality of his arguments, and um, I think his Evolution versus God video, and it is filled, filled with logical fallacies and quote mining. I, even one of the biologists he spoke to in California, uh, Suzuki Das, a friend of mine on Skype, spoke to me, he said, I remember when he was doing this, and he cut out large parts of P.V. Myers, uh, Richard Dawkins, and uh, everybody that actually has degrees 
and a, a large knowledge base in these areas, but he would cut out their responses and to get exactly what he wanted and then put them in there to make it seem like they were giving, you know, uh, I, I guess half-charge half answers without letting them further explain, you know, what that exact, what their response means. So in this arena, he didn't have that opportunity because it was live, but he put on his little song and dance and, you, you know, what was that quote he used? There's a, there's a, there's a book for that or, or something like that. And just yeah. the look on Bill Nye's face every time he said that was priceless in and of itself because he kept going back to that uh, using circular logic as if it was, I, I guess, a valid answer. And Bill Nye, you know, off the cuff, coming off with facts, evidence, research, you know, just the sheer amount of knowledge contained in that one man is just, you know, miraculous. But then he's going up against, you know, a pigeon pretty much, you know, with a chessboard. It reminded me of that analogy very much because it, was, uh, it wasn't it was even a stretch for him to try and actually debate. It was more of him educating the audience than actually debating Kim Tam. Uh, it, 
getting getting them to accept anything that might contradict their, you know, magical whatever is going to be the task in and of itself. And it's funny you mention that is that because I, I have a guy on Facebook who flips and flops between religions and philosophies like, literally every week. Like one week he's a Muslim and he's like, oh, the Bible's changed so much and there has to be a God. And then, you know, the next week he goes, oh, these religion, religion is so deceiving and I didn't know both these holy books said that. And it's, it's just a really, in some cases, it's a lack of education, uh, particularly with this guy, a, a really, really that lack of education. I mean, it's just this vapid space where education should have been, and it's, it's really painful. But for others that have education, they know what they treasure, and they uh, they know their bias. And I've called many of them out, including my own family. It's just this willful bias that they will pick and choose what they want to believe, you know, snakes and talking donkeys and flying carpets and stuff one day, and then the next day, you know, oh, they're completely sane when it comes to the inner workings of, you know, their their job and stuff that they need to be coherent and logical. Yeah. And it, it, it goes back to that. It's interesting, and I think it's a privilege a lot of times, at least in American culture. I can't speak for the people where I live here. But there's just the privilege of ignorance. You know, where I don't have to know the answer to your question. Because my life doesn't depend on anything. And it, it goes back to what I was saying. Yeah, I, with, along with Bill Nye, along with Dr. Bill Nye, when we were growing up, and I'm sure you remember, we had shows that were there to supplement. Like, hey, you just came home from school. You got a couple of shows. Or it's, early, it's a Sunday afternoon or it's a Saturday afternoon, depending on where you live. There was a show or there was something here to help you think. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you were, if it was about math, it was square one. If it was about spelling, it was the electric company. If it was about relationships and how you treat people, you had Sesame Street. You had all these shows. And, I mean, Reading Rainbow, remember that? Reading Rainbow. And here's the thing. Reading Rainbow was like, here's a book you can read. I like it for this reason, but you don't have to take my word for it. Make up your own mind. So it was encouraging, critical, and comprehensive thinking. And I think, and, and Bill Nye was part of that. Bill Nye was part of that. And I think in the in the 20 or some odd years since he's been off the air, but he's still doing the thing, we have gotten so far away from critical thinking and and and. The, the desire to supplement or, or add to our information or open or be open-minded to any new information that will be presented. So in my mind, it's bigger than just religion. That's what's so damaging because this willful wanting to not know has expanded beyond just the bubble of religion now. We expand it. It's expanding into our politics. It's going into our education now. You know what? You know we, you don't have to go to school and learn. You'll get a trophy for perfect attendance. You know, and yeah. that's what scares me. I mean, it's like you're being rewarded. You don't. You, you can be mediocre. You don't have to dig and try to think anymore. We'll do it for you. 
like Ken Ham said, there's a book for that. You know, you don't have to you don't have to go looking for it or you don't have to search for knowledge in it. you shouldn't have to want to. And if you are, you're strange. And it, 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 there's this there's this weird movement away from thinking. You know, it's like that line that uh that uh, during the college show, one of the most popular episodes where he was, you know, scolding Theo for not for failing his classes. He was like, you're afraid that if you think, your brain is going to melt and ooze out of your skull. And I think, you know, like, when you take out like Ken Ham or the Pat Robinsons of the world or Joel Austin's of the world, they come at you with this feely mumbo-jumbo and they, 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 they say, well, you don't have to know this. All you have to know, all you have to do is let go and let God and everything will take care of itself. That's not how life works. That's not how life works. I don't care who you are. But we have grown people. There are grown people. These are people that went to college. The people who have more than car notes and stuff like that that say these things. So you don't even want to think your way out of a problem anymore. You just want to let go. That's not, that doesn't encourage critical thinking. That doesn't encourage any kind of thought. And we're getting so far away from that. You know, that, and here's the scary part. There are far too many people that would believe what can happen. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. Did you, did you happen to see? Well, I think it was ChristianNews.com where they had a poll and what that, what that poll said. I, I saw it, and, and it, I was shocked that Pat Robertson was like, "Hey, guy, you're going overboard with that." You know, what you know somebody. <laughs> And somebody else said it, like, when Pat Robertson is saying, dude, you're tripping, then you know you really have a problem. Um, I take that with a grain of salt. I hope, mm-hmm. I hope, I hope that in, in, indeed that folks, after this thrashing that he got during the debate, I honestly hope that folks will stop him and going, you know, well, maybe I should take another look at this. Maybe I should start looking at this from another perspective. Um, mostly because, listen, none of these books, no matter what, if it's the Torah, nor it's the Talmud, if it's it, the, the Quran or the Bible, these these are not. They're trying. They're trying. A lot of a lot of these religious entities are trying to shoehorn or or shrink or fit or expand to fit the changing times, but they can't. They can't because they don't have a place that deals with. The equality of, you know, women, or the equality of people of color, or not having slaves, or things like that. They try to, you know, they're trying, but they can't because if, as soon as they start talking about it, or talking about how much God loves us, or whatever, you come back to, well, gee, why did He kill all those firstborn children? You know, there's so many things that stick out like sore thumbs. They can't. They cannot perform. With these times, so they're looking to say we're the problem. We've changed too much. When in reality, the problem is they can't at all. And um, I, I hope, I hope that it's a real. I hope that it's people really stopping, you know, and looking at what they're saying. These are the words coming out of your mouth, and you're sitting down and going, "What am I saying?" I so I take it with a grain of salt. I want. I I, I hope that that folks are coming away. At the very least, saying I got to think about what I'm following or what I'm what I've chosen to accept 
in our life. So, like I said, it, it, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. But, um, I think I, I hope to be proven wrong. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it was an open a uh, an open poll for anybody to come on the site, so it could be you know a large majority of uh, skeptics right after this show that saw that link and they went and, and you know weighed in on it. But uh, I'm 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 having mixed feelings as to those results as well. I would like to know exactly you know what their original position was beforehand. And, you know, to see the comparison afterwards. But, you know, even yeah. some of the uh, theists on my, uh, you know, Facebook where, you know, he said, you know, one guy said he wasn't really swayed either way. So, I mean, that, that's, I, I'm not, I can't really call it progress, but I can at least say that the more these conversations happen, the more people will see how frivolous some of these arguments are. Because if you can you're going up against somebody who has a variety of methods to show you facts and evidence, and all you have is, hey, look at this, hey, look at this, and it's the yeah. same thing over and over again, that's going to show really how fragile your position is over time. I mean, and I think the more important poll, um, uh, you know, that now that we're discussing, I think the more important poll is the one that, that, that's been taken amongst people of faith. Where they'll say, "Oh yeah, I, ident- I identify as a religious person. I identify as a this this that or another." But then when you ask them those interview questions that are regarded as you know tenets of religion, or at least the Abrahamic religions like you know Islam, Christianity, and and and, and Judaism, if you ask them, they'll be like, "No, nah, I don't. I don't believe in that." You know, do you believe that women are this, women should be treated this way? or homosexuals should be treated this way, or slavery, or whatever have you. And when you get to the nitty-gritty, they'll say, yeah, I, I call myself a Catholic, but I don't believe or agree with this. So I think it, so even though I'm saying I'm skeptical about that poll, it, what, what's, what's coming out and what we're seeing more and more is that you know, even people who say, well, I'm a person of faith, they can't, they can't coincide, you know, or they can't, reconcile themselves some of the things that religion says you should do. You know, I mean, I, I don't think you'll bump into any, well, you may bump but you might, I don't. I think you'd be hard-pressed to somebody who calls himself a Christian who thinks a girl should be stoned, you know, if she's accused of, you know, if she goes and says she's raped, I don't think she should be stoned, you know, or anything like that, or female genital mutilation, or giving up a girl to be married to a man at 30 years old, but she's 10. I, I don't care how religious they say they are, that part of it I'm certain they're not going to agree with. And as time progresses, I think we'll see more and more people going, eh, yeah, you know what, I thought I was, but I can't follow that. So, like I said, I'm skeptical, but at the same time, um, I'm, I, I'm optimistic in that, that you know, we're, we're going to see the change. And you're right. The more discussions like this happen, where there's somebody that's just here, fact, 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 look this up. Don't just stick to one source. Don't even believe me. Go look up the information for yourself. Um, I truly want to see a marked change. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that person. Hmm. It's. I, I really. I'm still looking at more of. Uh, 
the reactions that people had. I'm not getting too much from the theist side. I don't know whether it's out of embarrassment or whether I haven't looked hard enough, but uh, you know, I see a lot of you know critiques coming from uh, you know the skeptic side of you know what could have been better, what could have been worse. But I, I think that he, well, he Bill Nye has actually started you know something that needs to happen. You know, like I said, much more often so that yeah. people see that here is not it's not just these names and faces of, you know, these uh, disembodied figures and, and lab coats that, you know, send out messages like, you, you know, the emperor from Star Wars every so often. You know, these are real people right. who have dedicated their lives to studying stuff and can show you why they put information in the books for you to learn and not just, you know, they're, they're not divinely inspired as if, uh, yeah, like, no. like the comic hey, comparison. Yeah, exactly. It's it. Um, I personally, I think the, I think that should happen more because it's kind of like if I'm a heart surgeon, um, I don't think I want a dentist telling. Not even a dentist because that's it's medicine. That's all medicine. If I'm a heart surgeon, I I wouldn't want a car mechanic telling me how to do heart surgery. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I mean, you're not even in my lane. You're not even in my wheelhouse, and I know it's offensive to somebody who, you know, an anthropologist or a physicist or an astronomer or any of these, any of these people in any of these scientific you know, I think any of those people who are in no scientific field, I think it's offensive when you have Kirk Cameron telling you how evolution can be. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, I went to Princeton, you know, the Harvard, I went to MIT, I went to this school, I went to the, the graduate school, I went to Oxford, I'm a Rhodes Scholar, but Mike Seaver is going to tell me, and this dude Comfort are going to tell me about evolution from a banana. Even though I could look at it and just tell him, you know, those didn't exist until humans came and created them. You know, it, 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 I, I think some part of it was, yes, I want to inform the public. Others, other parts of it is, I'm offended at the, the idea that you think you have the intellectual capacity to have this conversation. It's kind of like a rap battle, you know. You, just, you know, on one hand you have Jay Z, and the other, on the other hand you have, you know, Dylon. You know, Dylon. <laughs> Dylon. Yeah, I hope is that too old school a reference? I hope some of our younger people will know this, man. <laughs> it it should be fine. I mean, it it's Chappelle's show. If, if anyone did catch on to that. The five greatest rappers, but I mean that's pretty much that's that's I think that's a good comparison though because what was it somebody oh that's you just reminded me the aftermath of the debate uh, some I guess some Christian website gathered up I think it was twenty two Christians that you know had questions for atheists and they wrote them on. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about now. They wrote them on a little card and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 They're supposed to be so clever. And one guy, I mean, they're, of course, everybody made responses to them. And some of them were like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, here's the logical response. But one in particular really made me laugh. And I thought, hold on just a second. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I'm trying to adjust my phone. Oh, I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Okay. 
Yeah, I hear you. Okay, there we go. Okay. Um, one particular uh, one question was asking, uh, oh, doesn't the second law of thermodynamics negate evolution? And evidently, this has been a, a you know a debunked claim, like the rest of them, for some time now. And somebody, you know, had posted that as a regular response, like, you know, no, this has been debunked. But one guy in particular stood out. And what he did was he wrote a formula in the top left corner of his paper, and he said, if you don't know what this means, then don't ever mention thermodynamics. And it was so quaint, it was was pretentious to a a degree, but it made sense. And I had no clue what that formula was, and he had a point. No, it's, 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 it's absolutely right. It's absolutely correct. It's like, listen, I don't know. You, if I'm not near a computer, if I'm not on Wikipedia, or if I'm not in where my old encyclopedia is off, if you bring up new laws of physics or thermodynamics or anything Einstein says, I could achieve these things. I'm going to tell you, and you know, like, hey, man, let me go look that up before we get into this conversation. And definitely, I'm not coming out of my mouth unless I, I look at it first and then change it. Because you don't bring up things like that if you don't know what the law serves. If you don't know that answer, then why should you even bring up the question? Because, I mean, in the age, it, it, why would you even ask that? Why would you ask about that in regards to or anything else? It's just, if you. You're not equipped to have that conversation. You know what I'm saying? I, I just, if, if you don't have those things and you're not a, a scientist or a doctor or something yourself, don't bring that up because you can't counter. Let's just say you have an educated person answer that question. It's like a gentleman who put up the formula. He's qualified to have that discussion. You're not. And, you know, I mean, even if he disagreed with the second law of thermodynamics, as a scientist, or as a person who's studying that, you know, he can have a lengthy, fact-based discussion why he disagrees with it. Because that happens in most times. This is a big thing. And, and this is the difference between religion and, and, and science. Science has this thing that says, hey, we're open to either A, different opinions, or you're saying I'm flat out wrong. If you're saying I'm wrong, fine. Prove Prove that I'm wrong. That's a, that's a lane that religion does not offer. It just doesn't. It just, I mean, they'll say they're wrong. And, and here's the thing. If you prove a scientist wrong or, or prove that a scientist was mistaken, they'll say, okay, fine. I can see to, your, to, to this new um, information. Based on the new evidence that I've been presented, I can see the argument. You cannot do that with a It's just not going to happen. So... Right off the bat, that winning. So yeah, I would. I hope more people do that. I wish more, more qualified, intelligent people would come forward and say when somebody brings a question like that, like if evolution is still happening, how come you know monkeys aren't turning into people now? Not that any any atheist or humanist or a person who ever said that, but it's awesome when somebody who's studying things like that would come forward and say, well, genius, here's why that doesn't happen. And I think more of that needs to happen. 
I think, yeah. um, I mean, you know, I think it's just that Neil deGrasse Tyson is a, a little busy and <laughs> he can't answer all those questions. But I would love, I love to hear an educator, a person who's at least an authority on the subject for and just school some clown who thinks they're smart, being smart and snarky. Well, that's the funny part is that when they bring up stuff like that, they the only reason they bring it up is because, you know, somebody they know, their youth pastor or their minister or that smart guy that sits in the third pew who went to college told them that, and they just repeated it. They didn't actually look into it. They didn't actually study any of it. And the thing is, with that, uh, if anybody does come across that argument, doesn't the second law of thermodynamics negate evolution? No. Um, that the issue is that, from what I understand, uh, and I'm actually looking more into science and engineering and that sort of thing, is that it, it's wrong because the Earth is not a closed system. You have, you do have geothermal energy that does come from the core, from you know the magma and iron, and the magnetism mm -hmm. that spawns from that motion. But we have an external source, so we do lose heat, um, you know, naturally but we get a near infinite amount from the sun, so it's not a closed system. So even if it was, it still really wouldn't negate evolution because evolution would be kind of hard for it to happen or tell any kind of life to happen if it were a completely closed system, you know, as far as the way our uh, ecosystem works. So, I mean, so feel free to go look it up. Um, it deals with open and closed systems, thermodynamics. So uh, that's my little... Uh, you know, caveat right there for anybody who's trying to throw that way debunk uh, line out there. Yeah, I but, mean, um, a lot of these things. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, I'm about to head out here in a minute. I'm going uh, to finish the rest of the uh, rest of the show when I come back so I can actually listen to the rest of it because I, I did want to talk about the DMX and George Zimmerman thing, but that, that, okay, we can always do it, the aftermath of that. Because that's uh. <laughs> we'll, we'll yeah. definitely get into it. You know, we'll talk about it a little bit here as well. Um, but I want to also touch on a subject that we were talking to prior to the show starting. And um, you know, as always, I want to just refresh the number if you're listening out there. It's three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, that's three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. We do want to get this call. Um, we're also talking about uh, the recent UN findings, um, and I like to put that under the duh um, section <laughs> of our conversation. Uh, recently, the United Nations has come to the conclusion that the Vatican, you know, uh, the Catholic Church, the Vatican, has been was complicit and uh, played along with hiding the information of serious, you know, abuse, sexual abuse, and, and, and now they're saying outright rape uh, right. in the church, which, again, we can fall under the no part of our conversation. Uh, I guess it means something that, uh, I guess the testimony of victims over the last almost 50 years now coming forward over and over and over again with allegations of sexual abuse, the allegations of child molestation, and rampant 
child molestation, sexual abuse. Over all of these years, I guess these men and women weren't as important for an august body as when. So I guess now them admitting it means something um, that they're aware that the Catholic Church has, you know, been covering up decades of rampant rape and sexual abuse. I guess the victims coming forward and telling people for the last, I don't know how many years, about their lives being wrecked and destroyed wasn't enough. Um, I, 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 I marvel at that. I, I can't believe that anybody so. I mean, and that people could be so dense. But then if you look at, you know, the situation that's currently going on with Neil uh, Farrell's daughter versus Woody Allen, and people are right. somehow the energy to take his side and accuse her of trying to set him up, uh, even though he married his own stepchild. I don't care about the particulars. He didn't live with them. He didn't do this, that, and the third. Guess what? If you met your future wife when she was a toddler, and then you <laughs> exactly. you're a child molester, you're a pedophile. I don't care how you slice that particular loaf of bread. I'm just going to say, if I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I, I'm not a therapist of any sort, um, and I'm also not qualified, but I think I'm human. And I'm just saying, if you met the, if the woman of your dreams... When you met her, she was four. You're probably a pedophile, chief. I'm just, I'm being real. <laughs> I'm being real. Exactly. I, can be, I, can be, I don't even like being around women that were the same age as my niece, and she's 25. So I'm like, I can't be around you. Why? Because you were a baby when I was, you know, you were a baby at some point. Exactly. I may have changed her faster. And uh, so it's the same thing with the Catholic Church. I mean, victims have been coming forward over and over and over again, but somehow people haven't been, not, not even somehow, it's religion. It, it is organized religion. It's, uh, people have forced themselves just through sheer force of will to just disregard these people, and it's more likely that it's this clandestine conspiracy to make the church look bad than for, for generations you've had priests and bishops and whatever have you Mm-hmm. To abusing young children, young men and women, for uh, for who knows how long, for, for decades, yeah, who yeah, probably since the church's inception, who knows? So exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, them admitting it doesn't mean a lot to me if they're not going to take any action against it. Let's start seeing exactly. some action. Exactly. They need to take action behind it. And what they've been doing, not only in the Catholic Church, but I've seen this in other churches, you know, Protestant churches as well, they'll take the person that's been accused of a crime and they'll move them around. You know, they'll either promote them up and out the way or move them around to another parish, another church, send them to another state or what have you. And it happens a lot more often. And the Catholic Church definitely was complicit in, you know, by the Catholic Church being forced to release these records and to basically pay off these victims, you know, more and more information is coming out. As a matter of fact, um, there was um, 
this one particular parish that the lawsuit was filed against them, and they declared bankruptcy so that they wouldn't mm-hmm. have to pay. But the thing is, yeah. is that, you know, the, the Vatican is complicit. You know, all of that money, I mean, the Vatican is its own city. The Vatican has its own bank. It has its own money. It's, it's just right. it's, it's ridiculous. But they've been paying this off and covering this up for years and then had the nerve to say to the, e, to the U.N. that the U.N. was basically interfering with the teachings of the church where you're, you're teaching wrong. Because what you're doing yeah. is, you know, you're teaching, you know, these adults that they can pretty much do anything and get away with it in a church. They're teaching these children that, you know, that their abuse, you know, is of God because a lot of these priests and nuns, because nuns do have been accused of this as well, um, telling these children that, you know, it was sanctioned by God because that's the excuse that many of these pedophiles use when talking to these children that, you know, it was sanctioned by God or ordained by God. And, you know, then they threaten the lives of these children and the children are trying to protect their family. It's just a number of different excuses, but at the end of the day, it's wrong. And these people right. need to be prosecuted. The Vatican needs, you know, to pay up. And, you know, if they're going to try to make it a teachable moment, if you will, then they need mm-hmm. to start putting forth um, some money to help these victims get the psychological treatment that they need, you know, the physical, you know, medical treatment that they need, just a number of different things. But they also need to start teaching, you know, these children that it's not okay for an adult to touch you. I mean, the parents should be teaching that as well, but the church should be teaching that as well, but they don't want to teach that. You know, and yeah. you, they don't want to, you know, but what, but what's been happening is something that we've talked about on the show on numerous occasions. The church is basically keeping the people's focus on, you know, abortion, um, keeping their focus on marriage equality, keeping their focus on, you know, issues that do not necessarily affect them personally just so that the people will not pay attention to the real issues that need to be addressed. Pedophilia in any in any way is wrong. But I don't even think they're using any of those things anymore. I think, honestly, this time around, they're putting a new spin on distraction with the newly ordained Pope, Pope Francis. Speak up just a little now, bit, Carl. Sorry about that. But yeah, I, I think, honestly, they're, they're, they're putting a new spin on distraction in that, you know, when they would go for those hot-button issues, or those wedge issues, mm-hmm. they're actually directing all the attention that they have towards the new pope. You know, you bring up sexual allegations, hey, the pope said something really nice about income inequality. You know, you say something about molestation and rape, hey, the pope went out and gave somebody a nickel. And, you know, exactly. They're using him now as a distraction, you know, because he's this new progressive pope, even though he's still wearing gold things and they say he's clean and dressed down but I'll wager that his wardrobe costs more than most of our mortgages so you know I'm not even buying into that if he was really serious about all of those things the Vatican would have been shut down by me tomorrow so I don't I'm not buying that either Um, I do think it's going to be a distraction as far as I'm concerned until there's some kind of real action taken because there's real damage done talking about years and years, 
you know, of, of, of people's lives being destroyed, families that can't work because mom or dad is just fighting and struggling every day about having been victimized, you know. So until he does something real and concrete about that and not just paying for hush money or settlement money, um, I don't really want to hear from that. I don't care about what new and progressive things he said that any person with a brain should be practicing the way. You know? Exactly. Yeah, it sounds new and progressive then or to most people because the Catholic Church has been so conservative on so many issues that anybody that 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 isn't that arch conservative religious nutball sounds kind of progressive. You know? So, exactly. I don't know, until, until something real is done, I mean, it's cool that the UN recognizes it, that's fine. You can recognize somebody being hit by a car, but until you go over there and try to provide some kind of medical help, then what's the point in you recognizing it? You know? It's right. Recognize it. now, now what are you going to do? You know? I mean, okay, you recognize that there's a lot of rampant sexual abuse going on. What are you going to do now? You know? Exactly. Are and then here's the other thing. What are you going to say to your constituents? You know? Exactly. So it's like, okay, fine. We recognize that there's sexual abuse going on. Are you giving people the opportunity to report this and saying, hey, man, if we think that this is, this is a legible uh, or a credible accusation, we're hands off. We're going to let the authorities take care of it. We'll turn that guy over. He'll do his time. We wash our hands. If you're not going to do that, then don't act like you care because you don't. Don't act like you really give a damn because you don't. You're, you're, you're right. an accomplice as far as I'm concerned. I mean, again, it's, you know, we, we go back to the situation with Woody Allen and his daughter Dylan, you know, most people, I mean, once Mia Farrow figured it out, she she became his worst enemy. You know, she became Woody Allen's worst enemy. Once she, once she heard her daughter's allegations, she went full against him to the point where, like, exactly. I can't, I, so if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to be the advocate for the victims, because the problem is no one that everyone, everyone wants, when it comes to sexual abuse, Everybody wants to play devil's advocate instead of being an advocate for the victim. You know, we, we go, we, we twist ourselves into pretzels trying to, to, especially when the predator in question is famous. Michael Jackson, for instance. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, exactly. I mean, everybody wants to play devil's advocate. Well, they offer money, and it's like this. Of all the things we can accuse a person of, why would you jump to that? Yes, it's heinous, but it's also very hard to prove. It's also extremely hard to prove. This is why nine times out of ten, when I hear something like that, I tend to, 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 to lean towards the, to the victim. I mean, even though you don't know everybody's innocent until proven guilty, and we understand that, and you can't play out things like that in, in, in the public, you know, in the, in the, in the public court, or the court of public opinion, I understand that and I can fix that, but they're not very easy to prove. So I I figure when somebody comes out and says this happened to them, it's best to listen 
And here's the thing. It's very hard to, to hear the, um, I doubt anyone can be coached in, in something like that. I doubt it highly. But when I hear, and even though I'm a skeptical person when it comes to things like that, once I hear the victim talking, and in this case I read so in, in the Vatican, the Woody Allen thing, I read the stories of the people, the people who said they were victims. And, you know, it's kind of like, it, it, uh, you know, because we're talking about it too, when right. you heard... When you heard the victims of, you were cool with saying, "Listen, let's let all the facts come out." When, when the Victor T. Curry thing, and not Victor Curry, my, my bad, Eddie Long. I don't know why I said that guy thing, but the um, Eddie Long um, case. You were cool with saying, you know, we were all cool with saying, "Listen, it sounds kind of freaky, but let's let all the facts come out." You know what I'm saying? We said that until we heard the victims speak, and once we heard them talking. There was no way in the world that you could think that that guy was innocent. You couldn't. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. You know, with Eddie Long as well as with R. Kelly, and, I mean, there have been some other people, I mean, Billy Preston, I mean, other people, you know, in the communities that have been accused of these atrocities. So, I mean, you know, um, we can name many different examples over the years, and there are people that want to side with the predator because they have talent or because they're well-known or what have But the thing is, is that why would these children make that up, number one, to begin with? But number two, besides that, like you said, with Woody Allen in particular, he married his stepdaughter. He married his stepdaughter, and she had been in his life, you know, since she was a youngster. So, I mean, what is that saying to you? Exactly. I, I can't do it. And, again, it's too strange. I, I, I can't say that the marriage of Woody Allen and Sunni present were, uh, but there's anything really wrong with that. I can't say certain, but this is not quite good. If it's not out of spite, why would you marry the daughter of your ex-wife? Right. I mean... Yeah, I think we have Raina on a line with us. I think Raina wanted to weigh in. Let me pull her into the conversation. Are you there, Raina? Hey, Hey, guys. Hey. How you doing? Um, I'm good. How are you? Same old jazz, different band, you know. I'm still here. Okay, cool, cool. No, I was going to say, um, and Woody Allen has also, you know, demonstrated an interest in, in young girls, um, even even via his movies. I mean, one, I've, I'm not a fan of Woody Allen. I think I tried to watch a Woody Allen movie sometime in 97 and uh, didn't work out. So I haven't really tried ever, you know, to watch again ever, ever since then. But um, apparently there is a movie, I think it's called Manhattan, and it was, like, one of yeah. his very first movies. And um, yeah. in that, Woody Allen plays a 40-something-year-old uh, man, and uh, he's sleeping with a 17-year-old in mm-hmm. the in the, in the the movie. And um, not only that, but, like, I mean, you know, it's, he, it's, it's even in kind of what he says about what Dylan says, or, or not what Dylan, well, not about Dylan, but about... Um, 
about Sunni, and he was talking about um, how, you know, people were saying things like, you know, shouldn't she feel some kind of way like she was your, you know, the daughter of your wife or your girlfriend or whatever, and he was like, well, she wasn't my daughter. You know what I mean? Like, somehow, because she did not come from his loins, you know what I mean? That it wasn't a problem. Hey, she was totally almost a woman when it happened. You know, it's like, it, 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 it seems weird. Again, it's like, that's not enough to say that, that yes, concrete, this guy is guilty, but it does raise red flags. Same thing with Michael Jackson. Like, yo, you hanging out with a chimpanzee and all these little kids. I'm a father, okay? I've got three orphans. Speak up a little bit, Carl. Sorry about that, hon. Yeah, sorry, you're a little far away, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah, a little better. All right, cool, cool. Sorry about that. I'm saying, I'm a father, right? I've got two wonderful daughters. I've got one handsome little, intelligent little son. They're they're wonderful kids. But here's the thing. I want to always be around my damn kids, man. That's just honest. You shouldn't want to be around kids that much. They're great, but damn it, sometimes it's just you got to get the hell away from them. And it's not being mean, it's not being rude, it's just you don't always want to be around. So when the thing happened with Michael Jackson, I'm like, yeah, dude, you always want to throw parties for kids. And there's somebody that has to be at parties for children sometimes. The first thing you want to do is get make sure all these little kids get the hell away from you after it's all. Oh, that's funny. I mean, you know, it's one thing. It's one thing to like children. It's, it's. A, I mean, it's another thing to abuse them. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, you know, the thing. The thing about it is that even, um, like these Nambla people and these other folks, yeah. they, they really. I, I don't know if I don't know if it's that they're trying to convince us or if they're trying to convince or, themselves that they're no, not yeah, abusing I, children. Nobody wants to be around kids like you no know, one's normal. You put it like that. It's one thing, hey, you know, I don't want y'all sleeping over. Y'all go to hell home. Y'all got your own house. So yeah, if you're a normal person if you're a normal person and you watched Michael Jackson's behavior at the time and then now after his death we realize that nine times out of ten he was higher than a kite, then yeah, you you know that red flags are going off in your head. So can you process this with Alice? Hey, you're going to say, regardless of the fact that you didn't look at this, regardless of the fact that you're not a father, when you first met her, she was excited. So, you couldn't possibly know that she was walking into anything that you should want to turn around. All right, Carl, you're cutting up a little bit. All right, email. There you go. There you go. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, there's, there's no way. That, that you sit there and say, you know, to any sane person or any person that's not engaged with that kind of behavior, you can't say that that's normal. You can't. So, so it doesn't wash with you. And, you know, again, you know, we bring up R. Kelly, we bring up the Eddie Long case, we bring up these things, and it's like, their fame has made people want to defend them so willingly. I mean, yes, most of the time, and folks will say, well, you don't know the whole story, but when they say that, it's always in defense of who's rhetoric. It doesn't make sense to me. 
I mean, and think about all of the things that Dylan was put through. You know what I mean? She had, she had, you know, doctors, doctor after doctor. You know what I mean? Testing her. You know, trying to find out if she's lying. And kids are not stupid. You know what I mean? Exactly. They know, they know that, they know that people are questioning whether or not they're being truthful. You know what I mean? And, I mean, think about what that must do to you when you're, like, six, seven, or however old she was at the time. You know what I mean? And, you know, at the, you know, she, um, I think she wrote somewhere that, you know, she, um, she didn't think, she didn't think to tell her mother. You know what I mean? Because it, she just, she just couldn't imagine, like, um, I, I forget what it was, but, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why kids don't tell. You know what I mean? Right. And, um, and it's like, and, and sometimes it has to do with violence. I mean, the way it sounds, it sounds like he was relentless. You know what I mean? Yeah. With her. Right. You know, she would, she would hide and he'd find her. You know what I mean? I mean, just imagine all of that and to deal with that for years. You know? I right. Mean, at a certain point, it's like even when you, it's like even once you're, you know, eye to eye with somebody, you know, the fear that's been instilled in you. You know what exactly. I mean? What are you going to do? You know? And, and, and this idea to jump on her, said, well, why are you bringing it up now? I mean, well, maybe why Why does it matter when she brings it up? If you're not going to believe it. Because now she's an adult and she has the strength. Exactly. The, she, has, she now has the strength to look people in the eye and say, you know what, this happened to me. And you didn't listen to me, you know. And who knows? For all we know, he might be doing it to his to his children with Sun Yi. Exactly. Or to someone else's children. I mean, we don't know. And I'm glad she's speaking up to protect the other children as well. Hopefully it will give them a voice because, you know, she's taking her agency back. She was a young child now. Now she's an adult and she can speak up for herself. Right. And I mean, you know what? I've, I've heard some people actually bring up Mia Farrow's brother and saying, well, why is Mia Farrow speaking out against, against Woody Allen and not speaking out against her brother? And the thing about it is her brother is in prison. You know what yeah, I mean? It's not like, I mean, what's there to speak out against? He's, he's been convicted. He's, he's in jail. Exactly. He's serving time for his crime. You know, not to not to say that you know that that erases what he did. Of course, it never erases what he did. But the fact of the matter is that her her brother is being punished. Woody Allen escaped punishment because he destroyed her daughter. Right. You know. And, and then also too, also too, he had people that were willing to cover for him, as he has right. people willing and, to cover for them now. And. And, right. and Dylan Farrell asked the question that that, 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 that that Hollywood itself is not able to answer, so that's why they're turning the pressure back on her. She's asking all these actresses, and she, you brought it up earlier, Arena and uh, Ken, you guys brought it up. And, yes, Woody Allen, I mean, Woody Allen does do that with a lot of his movies. If you actually look at his, his entire, you know, uh, body of work, he does that often. I mean, he's done it with Ferris you know. Very recently with Scarlett Johansson. I mean, he's this guy is he's old enough to be the son. Let's put it like that. But every movie he stars in, you know, he, his his female actresses, as much as he ages, 
his lead actresses seemed to always get younger. After Scarlett Johansson, it was the even younger Ellen Page. So it's like, you know, it's almost like he's translating that to the screen. <laughs> you know? So I'm not, I don't know why no one else has noticed. I mean, Diane Keaton is not his age either. And she was in Annie Hall, one of his most famous movies. So even though she wasn't um, a minor, clearly she was younger than him. You know, so 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 these are the things, and, and, and I'm glad that his daughter called him out on it. Like, oh well, wow, all of you actresses who are mothers with children, or are in relationships, or something, are you looking forward to having? How can you guys sit and and watch this happen? And know that you're dealing with somebody like that, and you're not, you're not taking the high road and saying, listen, I don't gotta be in this. Because Woody Allen has never made a block. You know, he's not Michael Bay. He's not making movies that are going to get $200 million or half a billion dollars at the box office. Well, so, I don't really care how much movie money his movies make. Exactly. I mean, that's, 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 you know, that's irrelevant. And, you know, it's, no, my point is when I'm saying that is you know what these actors, as an actress in, in any of his movies, these young actors, some of the actresses that wind up in the film, you know what this man's record is. You know what these allegations are. So why are you agreeing to these movies? I mean, it's not like it's not going to hurt your career to not be in them. So why are you agreeing to it? You know, it's the same thing with Roman Polanski. You know what he did. He's a rapist. He's just, well, he's because big. I think ultimately, I think ultimately we have to. Yeah, I think ultimately what we have to realize is that we're we're talking about we're talking about all of this in the context of a sexist society, of a rape culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? In which, you know, rape and sexual assault, particularly of young girls, you know, young girls who are coming into, you know, their into their womanhood. You know what I mean? Is not seen as something that is, you know, is is all that bad. You know, um, right. you know, it's they're they're you know, society sexualizes young girls from a very young age. You know, and um, I'm sorry. No, you're absolutely right. And then what's what's scary is the there you, you mentioned rape culture, but it seems that the staunchest defenders of the guys, like when you bring up Ron Kelly or you bring up Chris Brown, it always seems strangely enough that the staunchest defender of these people are always the people most likely to be their victims. That's the hilarious thing. Like when it came to Roman Polanski, it was Whoopi Goldberg that came up and said, eh, it was rape, but it wasn't rape rape. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're a woman. Why would yeah. you even? This, how would those words come out your mouth? How can it's, those words come out your mouth? It, it's just, it, you know, it's like, and and for some of these people, I'm sure, I'm sure the problem they're struggling with is, you know, we live in a culture that tells us that, you know, rapists are like these, um, these big, you know, uh, brutish, you know, hairy knuckles, you know. Marmy looking men, you know what I mean? They look like they look like they belong, you know, on you know, you know, in a, in a pirate movie or something. You know what I mean? They just look, mm-hmm. they just look like they don't belong. They're Neanderthals. They're not very smart. They don't put on suit and tie. You know, they're the scum of the earth. You know what I mean? They don't tell you that actually most rapists are wearing polo t-shirts. You know what I mean? And, uh, right. you know, and look like the boy next door. They look like they're in Abercrombie ad. 
you know? Or, or priestly vestments. Yeah, I mean, or, or priestly vestments, exactly. Or they put on three-piece suits, you know, and they, yeah. have an enti- and they have an entitlement issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, exactly. we're talking about Woody Allen here. Woody Allen is a big-time director in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Big-time director, you know, can, can get any actress, just about any actor, in any of his movies that he wants. And, um, you know, at a certain point, I mean, he's got to feel entitled. He's got to feel entitled. Like, yeah, you should want me. You should want right. me. You know? I'm the shit. You know? Despite, despite the fact that the guy is, what, he's 86? And <laughs> you know what? That's actually something that Dylan said in her article. She said that he actually told her from, like, the age of yeah. six that he would put her in his movies and make her a star. Yeah. Put her in his I mean, movies and make her a star. Absolutely. And so clear, the other thing, that's and, a bribe. That's a bribe. Yeah. You know? It, it absolutely is. But his other thing is, too, and the full star goes in the pattern. While we're talking about, you know, again, we, we were talking about the church. We were talking about what we and stuff like that. There are patterns. There are patterns where you can trace it back and people can say, well, this is more than one person making one accusation. And... With this, while we're talking about Dylan uh, while we were talking about Sunni Kravitz, um, Mario Hemingway came out and said Woody Allen, Woody Allen was the first man to kiss me when I was 16. Right. You know, so she just, so I don't know about you, but once more than three independent, you know, sources come forward and say, this happened to me, or... Or two. And Dylan again, a lot of other women are probably scared to come forward because you know they're still they're still out there in their careers and they don't want their careers harmed, you know, possibly, you know, because like like I said, he's been in Hollywood for a very long time. He's got a lot of friends, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know they're and afraid that you know perhaps their careers will be damaged because they come forward and they say something against Woody Allen. Exactly, and um. And Lord no, I mean, you know, Hollywood and its infamous casting couch. Um, so, you know, it ain't just him. He's just the one we're talking about. I I, think, I, I would hate I, I something tells me that if the books got open up I mean, not that I really go I don't go in for Woody Allen anyway. I told you I, I try to watch all these movies and it's horrible. And here and the other thing about Woody Allen that I think is just ridiculous is Woody Allen has made pretty much every movie that he's ever done, um, has taken yeah. place in New York. And not a single black person or Hispanic person is, is featured in any of his films. Not a single. At this one. point, I'm kind of. At this point, I feel like that's sending him a thank you note on that. <laughs> hey, good luck on that. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, don't get me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying. I'm not saying like, hey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, you know, why don't you come, no, out, come after some of us? No, I'm not saying <laughs> that. But the thing about it is, is that it's, it's. I just like. I just like his films for some of the same reasons oh, I that I just like Seinfeld and some of the same reasons yeah, that I just like Friends. You know what I mean? And some of the reasons exactly. why I just like a lot of things, you know, even oh. even though sometimes I might see something on Seinfeld and I'll laugh, but I still dislike Seinfeld in general, and I dislike him a lot now after I just heard what he said the other day talking about he's not interested in diversity and race to comedy. And I'm like, and, and, that, and that, I'm that, like, that, that privilege. There's yeah, no exactly. It's that, that privilege. Much. It's 
It's like, no, you are interested in it. You're interested in keeping it white. I mean, that's exactly, exactly what it is. You have that luxury of that, that luxury of white privilege. You can say that. I don't care right. as long as you're funny. There's, there's tons of people. I bet you any money, Dave Chappelle couldn't walk into the studio when he was pitching I mean, the show. I, hate, I don't like fun. Kevin Hart, and I don't like Cat no. Williams. But Cat Williams no. and Kevin Hart are way funnier than Seinfeld. Period. I absolutely agree. I agree, and that's that's really saying something. And and not, yeah, it's saying why. And Dave Dave Chappelle is the funny. Chris Rock right now. Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, in my opinion, are they were the comedians of this generation. These these guys were just avant garde, next level. We're going there kind of dudes. And I bet you any money they couldn't walk in, but they both had very successful shows that had a short run. But they, I bet you any money that they couldn't walk in pitching those shows and saying, hey, it's a show about nothing. And somebody said, sure, here's a million dollars. It's a work. No, that's, that's privilege right there. Jerry Sarkoff right. say that because somebody's going to be looking out for him. Someone's going to be yeah, looking out for course. the next You know what I'm saying? He has that privilege to say, I don't care what you tell me. What was your funny? <laughs> Which is cool. Yeah, right. I mean, you have to work for saying that. We don't. I don't. I mean, Lena Dunham can walk in and say, hey, yeah, I want to make another show about Oh, girls. my gosh. I can't understand. I cannot understand people who like that show, Girls. I'm sorry. I tried to watch it. I, it's horrible. I can. I can. I, I it's, can. It's horrible. It's, it's, it's poor, shallow, self-centered, rich, white girls bitching about relationships. Which... Has it with, yeah, it's new and innovative if you've never seen Sex in the City, Friends, Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23, Two Broke Girls. I or mean, anything on CW. <laughs> anything on CW, The Carrie Diaries, they made a prequel about right. it. it right. When has this not been done at this point? It's just rich, extra <laughs> entitled people who want to be listened to even though they don't have anything real to say. And right. what kills me, and I'm, I'm speaking as a man, so I understand there's a lot of things. I'm, 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 you know, I understand and I recognize my male privilege, but at the same time, it's like you guys aren't. It's kind of like, you know, yes, there probably should be a show that discusses the black experience, but I don't want that show to be about the 3-6 mile. I would say that about girls. It should be a show that showcases the myriad complexities of what it is to be a woman. And we had a show like that for black women. And and Frazier, uh, uh, the, the guy, uh, Kelsey Grammer, he actually produced it. So, like, yeah. And that show was way better than anything girls has to offer. And it's certainly better than uh, Sex in the City. God. Exactly. And here's the thing, and I, I was infuriated, you know, personally with um HBO because, you know, we're going into the second season of Girl and our and everybody's giving all this critical acclaim. And I only got one season of the number one women's detective agent. Yeah, that the, was upsetting. That was really upsetting. So I'm very upset at that. I was like, Okay, Here's a here's a positive spin on Africa. Because, you know, it's one of those white, you know, tree-hugging white liberal things that when they talk about Africa or when they show Africa, Africans have to be in a bad way. 
I know, I know. Or, or not just that, but, like, anything they show of Africa has to do with, like, jungles and, like, lions and stuff. And it was funny because Tamanda... Shamanda uh, Achebe, she was uh, she was in, giving an interview, and she was saying that the only cover of her book that she likes is the Swedish edition, because yeah. the Swedish edition actually has kind of like an urban setting in Africa on the cover, as opposed to the, all of the other covers that have lions and jungle on the on the cover, and the, and the book has nothing to do with lions and jungle. You know exactly. If you go with the Western depiction of Africa, if you go with the Western depiction of Africa, you would honestly swear that this this continent is just full of pygmies with bones in their noses fighting lions. And here was this show, and it was a positive show that we could all take part in, that my daughters could watch, and had a positive character, and it had complex storylines going on. And then here's another thing. It also had different ethnicities there, too. They're there in Africa, but one of the prominent characters in the show is an Indian man. So those are, right. okay, these so many myriad things, and here you are now, you cancel that show. Y'all don't got the money or the bank for that show, but here you are throwing more money at the same thing. Four self-centered, shallow white girls in a city, in a New York City that I certainly never lived in, and I was born in Brooklyn. And I've never right. been in a place where everybody was all white, all black, or all anything, you know. Right. Exactly. Well, look, guys, I've had a great time talking to you guys, but I got to go. Um, great show, guys. I enjoy listening to you. So. Oh, man. Thanks for calling. Thanks for talking with us. Okay. Later. Bye. Thank you. Ms. Kim, you still there? Oh, yeah. I'm still here. Yeah, I'm still I here. Wanted to get on this. I wanted to get on this because we were talking about it before. Um, definitely, folks, if you're out there still listening with us, we're talking about it now. 310-982-4273. Give us a call. 310-982-4273. Give us a call. We're going to talk about this. Uh, this issue, uh, it's been close to my heart. Um, I'm from this neighborhood. I live in the state where it happened. Um, and it's it's a tragedy, and it's just tragedy upon tragedy at this point. Um, of course, I'm talking about recent um, the recent agreement that, first of all, somebody is treating George Zimmerman as a celebrity, and um, uh, I don't even know where to go with this. And he has agreed to a celebrity boxing tournament. And prior to this week, they were just looking for people to match George Zimmerman up with and what I am certain is going to be a farce that's going to make me lose faith in all humanity. Um, and for a while, they didn't have a contender to go up against Mr. Zimmerman. Uh, again, if you don't know who that is, you should really start reading for newspapers or go online more often. But he is the man responsible for taking the life of uh, Trayvon Benjamin Martin, who would have been 19 years old this week. His birthday was uh, two days ago on Wednesday. Would have been 19 years old. Trayvon Benjamin Martin was shot and killed. Um, the anniversary of his death is two weeks from now, on February 26, in um, 2012. He was shot and killed by George Zimmerman in what Mr. Zimmerman said was self-defense, um, and he was found not guilty in a court of law for killing uh, young Trayvon Martin. Uh, 
of course, I've made it known several times on the show what a, a travesty and miscarriage of justice that was. Um, what I did not expect, I expected that he was going to beat the rap. Um, I expected that uh, he would be given the benefit of the doubt. I expected a lot of negative things. What I did not expect, and I truly am saddened by, is that he would be given the opportunity to make money and to mm-hmm. further, further heap insult upon the name of Trayvon Martin in the form of celebrity boxing, which doesn't matter. No matter who wins, uh, I just want to let y'all know out there, we as the people have lost. And I'm not just talking about black. Exactly. Think about people. People. Um, exactly. Humanity. Humanity has lost. If, if, if we give in to this, if we give in to this, whatever kind of, you know what, whatever kind of social... Or, or, or moral ground we've held. If this thing is allowed to go through, let's just say we lost it. Uh, and when we talk about America, or when we talk about American culture, let's stop with the we're the beacon of the world because we're not. We're not. We're letting a man, first of all, even if you buy the story that it was self-defense, a person who takes another person's life for whatever reason shouldn't be made a celebrity over it. What you're saying is essentially is that you accept that this unarmed 17-year-old boy was the criminal that this man made him out to be. And you shouldn't exactly. somebody's life. You should. I don't care even if it is a justified shooting. The person who pulls the trigger shouldn't be made a hero. And they should never, I mean, they shouldn't be made a celebrity, nor should they ever be made to feel like a celebrity. They should exactly. Have some kind of... It carries some kind of weight, and it, it just it pains me. And it pains me even more because there are people who think that there's some kind of catharsis that we will experience if we see George Zimmerman beaten in a ring. Let me say for the record, I don't care to see George Zimmerman beaten in a ring. And I'll say I don't care to see him beaten up because Trayvon Martin beat George Zimmerman. Exactly. That's what exactly. That's the, that's the, the long and short of that story. He beat exactly, and and the thing is, is that it's not going to bring Trayvon back, and is no. definitely an affront to his memory. And I believe it was deliberately timed um, around his birthday to generate more coverage, more controversy, all of that, mm-hmm. and. You know, the public is playing to it because whether it's positive or negative feedback, it's still attention, which is what George Zimmerman wants. And regardless if people do pay for the pay-per-view, I'm not sure if it's going to be pay-per-view or not because I have no intention of watching it. At the end of the day, after it's done, whether George Zimmerman wins or loses, if he wins, he looks like a hero even more for beating up DMX. And if he loses, he looks like a martyr. At the end of the day, he's going to go back on his personal website, appeal for more money, and these xenophobes xenophobes and racists are going to send him more money. It's a win-win for George Zimmerman regardless. But at the end of the day, you're right. It's it's a lose for humanity because that young man lost his life for nothing. And it shows that we can be swayed 
as long as there's blood involved, we, we can be swayed to, to, to it, it's just weird bread and circuses thing, you know, that, that we've agreed to. And again, I, I'm saying as a whole, it's more than this, is this what we are? Is that, is that justice for us? Because I don't want to see blood to be What does that do? That's not justice. It should have, justice for me should have happened in that courtroom. You know, and and here's the thing. We now know that even before the first opening, you know, before the first opening argument or before defense argument, we know for a fact now that those jurors had their minds made up. So justice didn't happen there. And it won't be given to us because, let's just say for the sake of argument, uh, you know, DMX walks in there and he knocks doors in the mouth. What does that do for us? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Anything, that just reinforces uh, any scared white person's opinion of black men. So now, thanks to DMX beating up a, a defenseless idiot white guy, then now we all got to worry because now they're looking at us and assuming that we're all like that again, anyway. So what does that prove? You know, what does that prove? And honestly, he needs to be in a jail cell. Because George, and first of all, you know, we had Raina here, and I wish she stayed on a little bit longer because she's such a she's such a master at, at, at discussing, you know, women's issues and, and, and feminist issues. Um, personally, I think if our justice system cared more about women and the rights of women, Trayvon Martin would still be with us now. Uh, let me, and, and I'll explain. George Zimmerman, before, before he even encountered Trayvon Martin, was an alleged child, uh, an alleged sexual predator. That's exactly. His cousin is juror number 10. And she said that he sexually abused her for 10 years until she was 16. So that's first. He, he's a serial domestic abuser. That was on record. Exactly. Before Trayvon Martin. He had violent And after. And after. This was before Trayvon Martin. This was before he ever encountered that boy. If the judge, if any, if any law enforcement entity, if any justice entity had taken his cousin seriously, or that ex-girlfriend seriously, or that ex-fiance seriously, and he would have never been there for a concentrate on Mark. He may have, that boy would probably be put on campus on the case. Exactly. Exactly. Had they That's had the right. judicial system, you know, worked properly, he would have gone to jail for the molestation of his, I think that was his cousin, that he was accused of molesting. Juror number 10, they said that that was impertinent to the case. Although somehow Trayvon Martin smoking weed three years ago or something like that was pertinent to trial, but him being an accused child molester somehow was not, blows my mind. All right, well, okay, fine. Or being violent towards law enforcement officials, that wasn't important. But somehow Trayvon Martin getting kicked out of class or smoking some weed, that's an important thing to keep. Let's go from there. Um... I also want to say, you know, and I'm speaking as a big fan of hip-hop, a big fan of rap, um, I had a profound, I, I, 
you couldn't tell me nothing bad about DMX for a long time. I'll say it right now. Um, he pretty much owned the mid '90s. I mean, he owned he owned the the late '90s from about '98 to 2000. You couldn't touch DMX. I mean, Jay Z was running second to DMX. I mean, he was right. at the time at the at the height of his fame. The only person that had that had accomplished what DMX did in that amount of time. I mean, he put out two Billboard 100 albums in one year. It's dark and hell is hot and flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. And that was 1990. That was 1998. That was late 97 and most of 98. And that was out. And I think he sold like 10 million albums on each album. You know, I mean, uh, you can just off the top of your head, you can just run off all of these singles and stuff like that. And when he was when he was out, DMX was probably the most energetic the most intense rapper I had ever seen. Like when you when you saw a DMX show, I can at least say, yo, you were getting money's worth. When he got right. when he got rowdy up in there, when he got rowdy, I mean, he brought the house down. I had the opportunity during my career on radio to see him perform live and you know, he used to kill it. Um, I had tremendous respect for the dude. Um, even as he started getting into a lot of these issues uh, that he's in now, sadly. Um, I still was in his corner because I wanted that dude that I saw on stage, that dude whose albums I own, I wanted him back. I like I was hoping he would somehow find his way back. Um, now I don't I think the bottom is falling out. And I'm really sorry that he would agree to something like this. That he would even dignify um something like this, you know, uh, to a Exactly. And it's sad that he doesn't have anybody it, in his camp, you know, telling him, Hey man, don't do this. And he claims, from my understanding, from something that I read, DMX is saying that if he were to fight George Zimmerman, that George Zimmerman would have to give all the all of the proceeds to a charity. And but at the end of the day, you know, we all lose, like the article said, and I agreed with every word of that article, that if DMX fights George Zimmerman, we all lose, and we do. And we do. And DMX went through a $40 million, you know, purse. Basically, you know, he had earned over $40 million, you know, throughout his career. And he's pretty much broke now. And I'm not talking about rich people broke. I'm talking about everyday person kind of broke. Exactly. Because there is difference. (laughs) No, no, and you're right. I mean, shoot, I mean... You ask MC Hammer, MC Hammer was rich people broke, but he wasn't broke people broke. (laughs) Okay, exactly. (laughs) So he's in a different angle. He's in a different place than than, 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 DMX. Sadly, man, that's just, uh, you know, and I'm talking to somebody who has family and friends that have been, you know, under the disease of addiction. So I I take care not to live with folks because we don't know that kind of thing, you know, we don't, uh, if you've never been through it, you can't really understand what that person is going through. Um, so he's going through some things. And, and I, I, like I said, it's, it's more saddening than anything else. It's, it's, exactly. It's exactly, because addiction is a disease. It's a disease. And with DMX, you know, just looking at, his life and what has happened, you know, the progress of what has happened with him, you know, he has 
a lot of issues that he needs to work out. And unfortunately, he doesn't have the right people around him to encourage him to get the type of help that he needs. Now, I can't say that no one has tried to encourage him. I can't say that because I don't know. But from what I saw, and this is the only time I watched Ayala Van Zandt's television show on Oprah's channel, was when he was on there because I had to see this for myself. And I felt so sad, so bad for the young man, and I'm wishing him nothing but the best. But he does not need to fight George Zimmerman, period. I mean, and like I, I said it before, and I said we all lose, because at the, at the end of the day, at, 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 the, at, the, at the core of this, at the core of what this may become, we're either, A, celebrating a murderer, or enabling a drug addict. <laughs> so right. that's, our take- that's the takeaway from this. If you can do either one, you're proud. You're part of the problem. You know what I'm saying? That's the thing. If you can enable a murderer or watch a man in, 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 in very steep downfall, in the throes of addiction, if either one of those things brings you entertainment, you know, then you're probably why we why intelligent life keeps avoiding planet Earth. Um, exactly. That commentary, that commentary that 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 folks can find is halfway entertaining. That anyone would say you can use my venue, um, or that anyone would take money. I mean, at the end, some, sometimes sometimes money is not the only thing that matters. And exactly. To, to to even call George in the minister um, or for people to even entertain this notion. It's one of those questions of how do you sleep at night? It's one of those real questions of how do you... Right. Uh, it's blood money. Uh, Trayvon Martin's blood money. You know what I mean? And it's and just and horrible. And I can only imagine what his parents are going through, especially his dad, because... Yeah. It's just it's horrible, and the fact that George Zimmerman and George Zimmerman's family is probably encouraging this madness. Yeah, I, I you know, and I was uh, I was listening to uh, Joe Madison. Um, I, I tend to listen to him time to time. Um, she was on his show, and she was like, you know, I don't even want to know about it. She was like, look, I'm not even thinking about it. Which is probably the best thing for her to do is just you know. Uh, I commend uh, Tracy Martin at Spring Fulton to the utmost. I cannot say with any honesty that I would be as, as you know, collected or as gracious as they have been in, in the face of tragedy like that. Um, I, I can't. Right. Just, I, I hope for just even the basic strength. I, I, don't, I fear if my son trips and stubs his toe. My daughter doesn't get her hair done right. I feel terrible for the entire day. Um, they lost their son. And what's even worse, they had their son turned into a monster to... Exactly. And, you know, I mean, when you put the two lives of Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman next to one another, um, one of them is, a, is an actual criminal with a full criminal history. And it's not Trayvon Martin, but exactly. The, uh, 
I mean, just the fear of a black man in this country. Allowed people, allowed a jury to sit there and look at a man who is in a, I mean, who is an accused sexual predator, a domestic Exactly. It has been exactly. so afraid about the idea of a black person that they could let a criminal walk free. And that's, that's, that, to me, is, is crazy. And then it says, what does that say to the next person who steps into the shoes of Johnson, the next young black man that gets killed, the next young black woman that gets shot through her door? Um, you know, what, what happens to the, to the next Renisha McBride? What happens to the next, um, you know, these people? What happens to... Jordan, yeah, exactly. You know, to the next Jordan Davis, if this guy walks, does he get a boxing show too? I mean, exactly. Is he a celebrity? I mean, the next Bachelor, what is this? You know, so what? He kills black dude and then you get to go on top shelf? What the hell? So... Exactly. I, I, I worry about what the message is here. I worry about... Right. Exactly, because so many precedents have been set, have been made, and that's the reason why you have these crimes becoming more and more egregious, becoming more and more prevalent. And, I mean, they were happening then. We're not saying that this is just starting to happen. It's just that with the advent of the Internet, we're able to share these stories a lot faster because back in the day, you know, during the weekend telephone calls, you know, people would share the stories and the news would get around the block that way. But right. now it's, it's, it's becoming, you know, easily attainable to get to this information. But the thing is, is that, you know, we have to get out here. We have to start protesting, you know, some of these laws. Um, we have to get out here and start demanding our rights. Um, we have to get out here yeah. and we have to point out the white supremacy and the white privilege and the entitlement. And, you know, again, you know, history repeats itself. I mean, even back in the South, you know, when part of the reason why we had a great migration of blacks from the South to the North, not only because of jobs, but because whites were just, would just walk up to blacks and hit them and beat them and kill them. And that's, that was happening. So a lot of parents sent their sons, especially their sons, up north to escape that. And from my understanding, these types of things are still happening. And look at what's happening now. They're shooting these children dead in the streets. You know, they're beating them. Um, there was an issue of a young man, a Kenyan, that was hung in New Jersey. I haven't followed up on that story. I need to find out what happened. But we're seeing more and more of these incidents, you know, lately. Now, I'm not sure if we're seeing more because they're being reported more now or if we're seeing more because some people have become emboldened. I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, we live in, the, we live in the, the age of information. Nothing stays um, on un, covered um, and that's good to know. Um, it's good to know that their folks are going to whip. They're going to whip out their camera phones and record things like this now. Um, that's why we know about Oscar Grant. You know, um, that's that's why we know about Trayvon Martin because there's a phone call out there now where somebody heard. So uh, it, it, thankfully, it is the internet. Thankfully, it's the technology where. Somebody sees something going wrong now, you know, you can just pull out your phone and record it. They have it to the point now where 
where if you see uh, something going on, even if a cop walks up to you, um, they did it in Philadelphia, you're, they have apps for your phone where you can actually stream video on there. So the, even if they're acting up, even if they yank your camera, you actually can, they, you stream the video so it's out there. So um, that's working in people's favor. And, yeah, also, too, it's just people getting fed up. It's people getting fed up, thankfully, that it's a hair and no further kind of thing. And I wanted to speak on something because I saw a lot of this come out. I put it up on my own personal Facebook page, uh, a petition to, 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 you know, stop this fight from happening. Yes. And I just want to talk. If you're one of those armchair militants and you're listening to the show, let me just say this. When you say that there's nothing that can be done or you're just saying, well, that doesn't do anything, feel free to offer your alternative. I want to hear that because this is the way we do it. This is how it's done, word of mouth, people getting into action, because this is the first step. If you see something's wrong, this is how you start taking care of it. I don't know what you exactly. think is You know, like, yeah, we see something like that, and then we take to the streets with the shotguns and um, leather jackets and parades. That's not going to happen, or at least not then. You know, if you ever listen to my comments, I you know, folks say, well, petitions don't work, and I got, I heard some folks saying that on my page, where this doesn't work, we shouldn't, this ain't the way to do it. Well, okay, even Michael X says, try the ballot before you go to the bullet. The ballot first, then the bullet. You know, so exactly. it's like this. We have it. It's our right to petition and have our grievances heard. So in this case, that's right. Exactly, and it's the same petition that you're talking about on change.org. I signed it, and I put it on my wall as well, so you should be able to find it out there because, you know, we need to at least voice, like you said, voice our grievances and to let them know that, you know, this is a personal affront. We do not condone this fight. And, you know, there are people appealing to DMX, but if it's not DMX, all they're going to do is choose someone else. Exactly. And, and you know what, it, 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 to me it's like if any person, and I know that it's the goal of the organizer or the promoter of this event, I think his name is Damon Feinberg or Damon Feinberg, whatever his name is, it's his goal to make this a, 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 a us versus them black and white issue. Um, I, I would just hope that if someone has the awareness to not dignify that to not dignify what he's trying to do, which is, you know, he's trying to trivialize uh, the mm-hmm. very, you know, he's tri- trying to trivialize, first of all, the life and death of Trayvon Martin. And then secondly, the issue of racism. It's not going to get solved by anything like that. Because if that's the case, Jack Johnson beat racism 100 years ago. Exactly. You know, if, if you're if you going to have that argument, then... Everyone from Jack Johnson to Mike Tyson is pretty much beating racism to death because they beat everybody that came in front of them. So, and then in the case of Jack Johnson, he he beat racism and then went off with his girlfriend, literally. So, uh, 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 so, so, uh, I don't know what the idea is with that, and I I would hope, you know, I, I know what they're thinking the game and DMX, like, they're striking a blow. No, you're not, because you're not beating any institution. You're not beating the institution that would make George Zimmerman believe that a boy in a hoodie presents a threat. You're not beating the uh, the institution 
that would lead six jurors, all of them white females, to look at this boy and make a decision based on pictures of him on the Internet that he was somehow right. a criminal, even though that he never had a criminal record. You got a lady exactly. going into depression or something. Yeah. So, so, you know, you're not beating the institution uh, that would lead a defense attorney in a somber case like this to start off his defense argument with a knock-knock joke. Exactly. Exactly. And the prosecution, you know, the prosecutors on this case, they were horrible, absolutely horrible. And, you know, it was malfeasance, you know, at its best. And now two of the same prosecutors are on this case with, you know, for Jordan. And I'm sitting there and I'm just looking at it because, you know, if, you know, the defendant, if if he's acquitted, you know, I'm not even really going to know what to say besides I think it's time to pack up and leave Florida because, you know. I'm here. I'm here. I'm telling you, I lived in both places. I lived. I worked. I worked around the corner from where Jordan Davis was shot. I lived in the neighborhood where Trayvon Martin went to school. So these things take on a personal effect for me. I, I know you remember um, during the trial, shortly before the verdict, I was there at the open forum that they had, where well, basically um, the cops threatened the entire neighborhood. And all the poverty parents told us to do was sit down and pay about it. And right. don't be mad. I was there. I was sitting in that room. I was right there. So, um, like I said, you jump into a ring. What are you really beating? You're not beating the institutions that make people feel that you can't shop in a certain store if you're a certain skin color. Because you're not supposed right. to be able to that. You're not beating the the type of uh, income disparity that leads to the gated communities that don't want a Trayvon Martin in them. What are you beating? What have you really defeated? All you reinforce in the mind of scared white people is that black dudes are crazy. Um, which is ridiculous. Exactly. Um, and, I mean, that happens all throughout the country. We've talked about sundown towns, you know, and how there are some places that, you know, if you're black or Latino, anybody of color, they don't want you near their town. And if you do come to their town, you better leave before sundown. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's – and, 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 and this is what it is. It's bigger than this one guy. And, you know, we just shouldn't play into it because all it's going to do is open the door for any other clown to, 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 to think that he'll get his 15 minutes of fame off of mine or anyone else's play. You know, you won't see a danger. Look, the man that killed Oscar Grant, he served 11 months in jail. I'm sure there's a book deal coming for him somewhere. Here's my side of the story, you know? I mean, exactly. I mean, that's how he's paying for himself. He's painting pictures and getting hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that tells me a lot. That tells me a lot about the life of a black person, you know, in this country. That you can kill a man and then paint a picture and they'll give you a couple hundred thousand dollars because the scary part is they believe you. They believe you. So they're not beating anything. I mean, you punch yours in the mouth. It's definitely stop anybody 
who will go on to it at Fox News and say that he's a thug. You know, I mean, are you going to stop doing Is that going to stop people from accusing Richard Sherman, a master's degree holding football player, a millionaire, that he's a thug? Is that going to stop people from thinking that? So, what are you really accomplishing? And is it worth Exactly. Well, exactly, and they they didn't dare call Representative Grimm, you know, a thug after it was caught on tape, him threatening a reporter, threatening to throw him over the balcony. You know, uh, they didn't call Justin Bieber a thug. He's just a misunderstood teenager. And, you know, but because Richard Sherman, you know, was basically still pumped up on adrenaline and giving them the excitement that they want from these athletes, but because he was talking to a white woman, you know, a.k.a. a damsel in distress, and she wasn't even fazed by it, but, you know, they got angry. And if you go back and you look at some of, you know, our history, especially when you look at what happened with, you know, um, Black Wall Street and some other incidents, you know, Emmett Till, in which, you know, the, you know, uh, white female, their, you know, um, um, how can I put it, their virginity or their innocence or their purity was allegedly threatened by a black man, whether he looked at them or tried to get a date at them or tried to whistle at them. And in the case of Richard Sherman, he was just, you know, you know, being, you know, he was out there, his bravado, you know, coming forth. Exactly. You know, that machismo was there. But, you know, the white, you know, the white female, you know, the damsel in distress, she was threatened in some sort, or at least that was their perception. But in many cases, that's just an excuse that they can use. It's just an excuse. And that's the funniest thing. I mean, you read a lot of these tweets. They talk about how scared Erin Andrew was. And I'm like, um, you think she was more afraid of Richard Sherman than she was of the guy who drilled the white guy who drilled a hole in her hotel room to watch her strip naked? Do you think that he, that exactly. Richard Sherman is more threatening than that guy? Let me put it like this. Richard Sherman doesn't have to drill a hole in a wall to get white chicks to strip for I'm going to just put it out. Exactly. Exactly. That wasn't not his bag, and I'm pretty sure if he, if she was down with it, I'm more than likely I would assume Aaron Andrews wouldn't have a problem with. It. He's a handsome, rich guy. You know, I doubt it. it, it if he maybe with the proper entreaty, I don't think she'd be that against going out and talking to him that way too. So it's like you think she was more afraid of him than the other the actual person who who who, who stole her dignity. You know, who robbed her. Who violated her? Exactly. He didn't do nothing. So you don't even remember that guy's name. Do you remember Richard Sherman's a thug? That's racist. That's white privilege. Exactly. People barely remember the name. I mean, they don't, no one remembers the name of that guy. But, but Richard Sherman, who wasn't even talking to her, Bruce's boy, who are you talking about, Mr. Sherman? And he walked away. Because he wasn't even talking to you. I'm talking to America. I'm talking to the 49th. <laughs> you know, I'm talking to Richard Crabtree. I'm talking to that guy. <laughs> you know, man, exactly. I don't care about what. I'm talking to that guy who pushed me in my face 10 seconds before I came up to the mic. So, it, again, that it, it's all a part of the same thing. It's all a part of this this weird image 
that that's going on, and and I I can't believe honestly that it's taking place, and I can't believe that uh, uh, DMX is so hard up that he would accept it, and 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 you know what's the exactly. Purpose? I mean, uh, what Casey, Casey Anthony on Dancing with the Stars? I mean, what? What? I don't know, man. And it says a lot more about us than I think I'm comfortable with. Um, if we exactly to, um, agree to this it, kind of thing, exactly, and it, it's like you know when when we hold the mirror up to ourselves in this type of situation. The question is, what do you see? Because right now, looking at, you know, the hoopla behind all of this and the people that are definitely behind it, I see a bunch of monsters. That's oh, what yeah. I see. Oh, and it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for, you know, this country to be an alleged first world country. You know, um, we have more people in jail. We have, you know, uh, we're deporting more people out of this country, a land of immigrants, if you will. And like I said, the xenophobia, you know, it's it's just outrageous. And the thing is, is that the people that speak up, and try to speak out against it. You know, those people are labeled troublemakers. They're labeled as not knowing any better, or they're labeled as being elitists or, or what have you, because, you know, speaking out against these atrocities and these oppressions, there are some people, quite a few people out here, that don't want to hear So I posted an article yesterday, as a matter of fact, and it was talking about how some of the younger whites and even some of the older whites feel as though there's reverse racism and that, you know, um, they're being unfairly punished. And this came about after the civil rights bill, the civil rights laws were enacted. So, you know, again, it goes back to that white privilege and some people not understanding how, you know, the civil rights laws were enacted to end American apartheid. And it seems as though when people start talking about they want their country back and they want them that blacks were happy before the civil rights laws, you know, over there, those, you know, you Doug Dynasty fans, you know, what they're saying is they want things to go back to apartheid. They want things to go back to Jim Crow. Hell, if some of them could have it their way, we would go back to being indentured servants. I'll respond to things like that. More often than not, I try to be as diplomatic as I possibly can. But whenever I meet a person that says, well, you know, it's getting worse, it's worse for white people now or their experience with more racism. My only response is your tears are delicious. I love your tears. Your white people's tears, I, I could wash down a sink with it. I don't care. Your tears are sweet. Because it's like, you tell me when there was a mass lynching in your town or when somebody closed down an entire school system in your neighborhood, or when somebody blew up a church, or mass raping, or mass incarceration of, you know, when you, when you tell me that's happening, I might, I might, you know, start listening to your story. But as long as that's not happening, or people are being refused jobs because your name is Bobby, you know, Jeffords, instead of Tariq, you know, Jamal Muhammad, 
or or Tamika or Shaquanda, if that's not happening to you, then you're you're just being stupid. I'm not even going to try and entertain the mild instances because somebody pointed out a historical advantage that you had since this country's inception. That's not going to fly. I'm just not going to listen to it. I mean, if somebody hurt your feelings for five seconds because they point out that you you are you're at you're you're pretty much starting out in this country God, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, I'm not going to listen to that argument in any way. I'm not even going to entertain. Like, well, you know, you're going to bring up one time when you met one asshole black person, one asshole Latino person, or or Asian or a First Nation person, and that one racist incident. Try an institution. Because that's what folks don't know. I mean, that's the argument, that's the discussion nobody wants to have. You know, you, you can bring up one individual uh, 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 racist situation that anyone can do that. But this is how institutional racism works. I walk out of my house, I'm dressed in a three-piece suit, and the you know, first white person that walks up on me calls me. Then I go to my job, I drive to a job interview, and then I don't get the job because the guy who's interviewing when I'm black, and then I have a name that's too ethnic or too ghetto, and they don't get right. it. Now I'm driving home from the job interview that I did, from the job that I didn't get, then I get pulled over by a cop because I fit the description. And then I'm driving home, and then I find out that my son's school is getting closed down because the government or somebody took private funding or took funding away from it, put it to a private charter school. And my wife's not getting the paid the same way because she's a black woman. And that's institutional racism. That is a side effect of white privilege. That's what people are getting. So you got you bumped into that one black dude that's gonna call you a I mean call you a hunk or call you a cracker. Okay, I'll grant you that. But is it an institutional thing that you have to deal with every day? Go shopping Exactly. People grab your, their purses when you step into an elevator. Are they scared when they see more than one of you walking around somewhere? Even though you, even one of y'all are interested in any way in what they're doing with their lives. If that, if you're not experiencing that, I, I cry all you want. Your tears are delicious. I'll have it with a nice, you know, I'll eat a, eat it with fava beans and a nice candy. I'll wash it down with your tears, you know, because it's not happening and it's, it, it's, it's. It's tired, honestly. It's tired to say, you know, even though every statistic in the book, even though any kind of study that's done has debunked it in every possible way, like you, you bring up the issue of government, and, you know, government assistance, there are more white people getting that than black people, or any other minority for that matter. You bring up the issue of affirmative action. It benefits white women more than it benefits any other Exactly. Minority. So it's it's like no matter how you slice it, you are you are getting the the lion's share. You are the default status. You don't need a white history month because when you turn on the TV, you are most represented on every single channel. You know what I'm saying? You, you, it doesn't matter exactly. what shot or it. I mean, if it, it could be a show about gay people, if it's a show about gay people, it's going to be a show about white gay people. It's a show about girls. It's going to be a show about white girls. If it's going to be a detective show or a science fiction show or whatever, 
more than likely the star is going to be a Caucasian person. Um, you know, I have a gender. So it's, it's like for you to come and you make the same complaint or you're saying I'm not being represented or somebody made me feel bad, you sound ridiculous. I can't even, I can't even acknowledge that argument, you know. Like, when's the last time one of y'all got shot for the for sweatshirt? Exactly. So, exactly. You know, and, you know, um, when, what you were just talking about, I tell people to go and take a look at the Privilege Mutiny series. On the third one, I talked about affirmative action. And I talked about how affirmative action first came about and how it benefited whites. And then when it started benefiting some blacks, then all of a sudden affirmative action became a bad thing. And when I talk about these political parties, you know, um, blacks switched over to the Democratic Party during the New Deal, but not realizing that we did not benefit from the New Deal. And basically blacks were sold down the river even during that time because the Democrats had to make a deal with the Republicans in order to get the legislation through. So, and, you know, when you hear about these different people, the Republicans and in particular the Tea Partiers, when they start talking about states' rights, I want you to put it together because even though it's federal legislation, and the federal legislation says that everybody is supposed to be treated equally, what happens is they push it down to the states to make certain decisions. This is what happened with public aid. This is what happened with unemployment, um, even in some cases with Social Security, you know, benefits and all of that. And so when it is turned over to the states, the state administrators get to determine who's eligible and who's not. Well, guess who gets drummed out? Mm-hmm. People of color. And it's still happening to this day. And this is what we're trying to convey to you so that you can go back. So when I talk about public policies and being racist, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about structural racism. And going back to what Carl was just talking about, you know, with institutional racism, you know, all of that is happening. And when we talk about white privilege, we talk about the white people who feel as though they are the deciders. They get to decide what's racist. They get to decide, you know, what should be offensive and what's not offensive. If they don't find it offensive, then we should. But anyway, Carl, I'm going to let you take it out down to the last 90 seconds. Um, you know, that's what the real thing is. And, um, you know, we, closed, we, we, we talked about a lot of issues. And um, this last one is just a real big deal to me. Um, if you're out there and you're still, you know, interested in doing your part, um, the petition is up on my personal page, you know, Carly Burn, Facebook.com, and then I uh, know that uh, Kim has it on her page as well, change.org. Um, please support this uh, petition. Uh, I, like I said, I can't say enough. It's a commentary on us. If it goes through, it's just a really sad commentary on who we are and, and how little, you know, uh, it's really a shameful thing. Um, and I encourage everybody, again, you know, just... To, to, to look further into all these issues, everything that we discussed tonight, and there's something that you can do and a part that you can play to change the situation um, and, and, and make yourself known, make your voice heard, and do your part to help the situation change and get better, um, even from opening up the discussion or to just, you know, signing your name to a position. And I hope that you'll do that. And I just was glad that we had an opportunity to have this conversation tonight. Um, I look forward to speaking to you guys again, and I hope you have a wonderful week.
Excellent. All right, guys, and we are out of here. See you Sunday at high noon. We'll have Christopher Everett on, the director of Wilmington on Fire, and we'll talk about the only coup d'etat on American soil. And what happened in Wilmington, North Carolina, is the same thing that happened in Tulsa and Rosewood or Black Wall Street in which black wealth was systematically destroyed. And it's a story that needs to be told because it was covered up for over 100 years. So I hope that you all can join us. And on that note, Carl, my darling, you have a good weekend, okay? You have a wonderful weekend as well, Kim. Take care. Take care.